I'm on a small stage at Masterskaya, just a few hundred meters from Red Square. If you know where the tiny door is, you can find it off an alleyway. Inside, people huddle at little tables with candles on them. The stage is crammed with expats, mostly actors with fancy-looking hairdos. Kaz has organized this Christmas show, and he emcees, he sings, he plays a big old guitar, and he steals everyone's hearts. I'm on the edge of the stage, playing tenor sax on a cover of Elvis's Blue Christmas, harmonica, and something else. The stand-up bass player is Russian, Vladimir, but he says, call me Walter, and somehow we're already friends. Sergei is on drums, a skinny guy with a goatee. And my Natasha is in the audience. This is when we were living together, but we weren't married yet. And my daughter Eve is sitting by her, sipping a Coca-Cola, barely six years old. She waves from their little booth, making sure I see her, flashing me a thumbs up after each song I play on. And then we get to my big moment. I pull out the Epiphone Les Paul gold top, not a Gibson, and Kaz says something in Russian. I, I think it's something about Tom Waits' style, and some of the people in the audience go, oh. I launch into a slow and heartfelt version of Amazing Grace. My left hand is shaking like a tea kettle in an old movie. I hit the chorus, and, and it all starts to fall together. And then the second verse arrives, and I cannot remember any of the words, or even my own name. And I mumble, and I just start to make random sounds. And then I jump early to the chorus as Walter and Sergei chase me. And for some reason, I take it all up an octave, which is way out of my range. But I tilt my head back, and I just howl. And then just try to make it sound like that was how we practiced it. And Kaz swoops in and gets us to the next song. I stare into the audience. Natasha is laughing her ass off. And Eve is fast asleep on the seat. A few years later, Kaz fell out of a window and died. He had just become a husband and a father. They had a little boy. A lot of people fall out of windows here. More than you would think. I'm Marco, and this is Songbird. In this episode, we're talking about Sebastopol, track six from Heaven Get Behind Me. This song was created by putting one foot in front of the other just very intuitively. I didn't sit down with this clear plan or I didn't have a daydream or a a memory or just something that happened that sparked it. I was working on a screenplay about this guy who's convinced he's Enoch. And the story of Enoch is a lesser or better known chapter of both the New and the Old Testament As it says in Genesis, I'm going to read here, he walked with God and he was no more, for God took him. And the way this was interpreted was that he entered heaven and he was alive 
and he spent time with angels. So my story, my screenplay, begins with this very mysterious return of this nutty guy. And the story has a series of reveals that answer certain questions. And by the end, you find out if he's a total crackpot or if he's the real deal. Anyway, he he does wear a very old blue suit. And I don't know, I feel like this song I wrote is from the perspective of someone who sat next to him on a train or sat next to him in a bar and just traded a few words with him, those odd and interesting exchanges between strangers. And as the first line goes, Charlie's out back talking trash. Maybe he's in a fist fight. Maybe he's betting on a chicken fight. Maybe the bouncer threw him out because he's a total smartass. Yeah, that kind of Charlie. I think we've all crossed paths with a couple of Charlies in our lives. But after that first verse, I think this becomes an expat story. And the common experience that every expat shares is this hope that when you eventually go home, someone will be waiting for you and that you'll be remembered. It's very easy for an expat to feel invisible. As the saying goes, out of sight, out of mind. So there's a Sebastopol in Ukraine, which is in Crimea, and then after all the guns and the bombs and the craziness, it became part of Russia again. And then there's a Sebastopol in California. So one of them is waiting, and one of them is home, and it could be either of them. I wanted to talk about the distance between my old world in the States and the one I've lived in in Moscow for 13 years and how they're so terribly different and yet on some days they're exactly the same. And here's an Easter egg. I'm in open D tuning on this, which is also known as Sevastopol tuning. And then in the third verse of this song, we turn another corner. It's about a parent that has lost their child. I did not lose my child. I almost lost my child in a few different ways. She could have died and I may have never seen her again. If you think of that feeling you have when you're at the top of a set of stairs and you almost fall down and that sense of vertigo, that almost thing that happened, that is what brought me to verse three. And We talked about this in episode five about California divorce. I have far too many friends that have lost their children. And I know far too well how easily that can happen. Okay, let's listen to the demo. Well, Charlie's out back talking trash. Stories got a hero. You still got that Mona Lisa smile. At least that's what they tell me.
Sometimes I wake up to forget That I fell in love with a mystery girl This demo, and also the Marfa demo, I felt like they were substantial, like I was actually on solid ground. This is not a stretch. I was in the right place, I was playing the right guitar, and somehow I was in the right frame of mind. Production-wise, this is the second time I got to use the old guitar on the album. The first time was track one in Fellini, but I got the right strings on the guitar this time. So that's the heart of the song musically. Then I brought in a very old upright piano, just very gently tiptoeing in. And then I used a harmonium sample. A harmonium is this kind of little organ that sits on a table. You have to pump it with one hand while you play it, but it's got this great like air moving through it. They're very common in India. And I also got to use my 12 string on this. It's a Gibson B45 made in 1968. It's the same exact model and year as the one that David Bowie played and all of his early stuff, including Space Oddity, which is basically the reason I tracked down one of them. I'm only strumming on the 12-string once for each measure. I'm just letting it ring out. Each strum is either hard right or hard left, so it just kind of does a little tennis match back and forth. I did build a certain amount of sound design behind this one, there's cars driving past. There's a couple of crows. I just imagine that this all happens on some lonely street corner. Maybe it's just outside the bar at about 4 a.m. But the biggest idea in the production was understanding that my daughter Eve could sing on the chorus with me. Now, we've been singing together since she was little, and we started doing covers of songs for Valentine's Day and New Year's. We even did Danny Boy for St. Patrick's Day one year. They're all on my YouTube channel, by the way. So this little voice in my head told me, you should use Eve on this one. And I'm so glad I took its advice. You really got to listen to those little voices. So let's listen to the final track. And then right after that, we'll go into a little sit down I did with her a few days ago. And we 
revisit her role in this little adventure. Here we go. When Charlie's out back talking trash Not every story's got a hero You still got that Mona Lisa smile That's what they tell me. Last night I met the man in the blue suit. And said he walked with the angels. Sometimes I wake up to forget That I fell in love with a mystery girl Sebastopol is waiting There's a light in the window That I pray is for me Told. 
I have my very first guest. I'm sitting with my daughter, Eve. Hello. I want to thank you for the millionth time for singing on this song. I think it made it really special. You're diddly welcome. It was all very chill. So it's familiar territory. Absolutely. Sad, lonely stories. Yeah. Do you think if we had gone to a studio instead of just setting up mics in the living room, Do you think that if I was looking at my watch and being worried about how much time we had, do you feel like your performance and your singing would have been different? Yeah, I probably would have sung it differently. I also probably would have gotten an ego boost. (laughs) But this whole album is a very private and intimate project, and I think it, it, it was only right for it to be recorded at home in such a, not a comfortable setting, but a very, like like in your nest, sort of. (laughs) The buzzword is intimate. Right. (laughs) And by the way, I have to ask, it would be pretty dangerous to do a second album the same way, though, right? That would be going too far. It depends what you want your future to look like, man. I'm feeling very cautious about being the guy who only has that sound. I think that would be... Going to a comfort zone, which I don't think is a good idea. I think you have to face your fears at one point. But wait, wait, wait. First album, recorded at home. The second one, go to a studio. The third one, you go to a mountain, get some Tibetan bulls. Uh, the fourth one, you just go like to a skyscraper. No, outer space. Right, right. You Call Elon Musk, do it yeah, on, like, on a space shuttle or something. Yeah. So- <laughs> What do you think was the hardest part about recording this successfully? I wouldn't say it was hard. I'm I'm sure for other people it's probably like a super special occasion. For me it was just kind of, oh, it's just another day. Like, he just wants me to sing on something. Okay. <laughs> so it was pretty casual for me. Uh, I mean, the hardest part would have just been nailing the notes, I guess. So you've already answered my next question. What was the easiest part of this? So again, there was nothing hard, nothing easy. It was just kind of just being. And it it was a very, well, not a normal experience, but an experience I've already had many times before, and it was very familiar. There's a really beautiful history of families singing together, and even specifically fathers and daughters The easy one for me to mention is Serge and Charlotte Gainsbourg. There's a song called Lemon Incest that's very famous that they did together. 
I'm obviously not going to put you in that position. Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> but what I like is that he has this gravelly, you know, world-weary voice. And she has this small but really pure sound. And when you put those together, yeah, it's really nice. And I think it's easy to say that we fall into that category. I mean, you've been singing with me your whole life since you were a baby. Pretend you're just listening to this track. You came across it on iTunes or whatever. Do you think you would realize that it's the guy's daughter singing? Do you think that you could feel his familiarity? I think the relationship between the people is more important, and it's not always guaranteed that family members will have that chemistry that is absolutely needed to sound really great together on a song. But, I mean, I have been in not only your music, but also in your movies basically everywhere since I could remember. So uh, for me, it's pretty natural to be a part of your work. I think in general, we just radiate that kind of feeling that we're related. I think it's very obvious. A lot of people tell me that I look like my dad, so, but... Who's your dad? Is yeah. he here? Well, I think he's, like, really famous. <laughs> and he's ruggedly handsome, too. <laughs> you have to explain ruggedly handsome. This is too ridiculous. <laughs> right. But what... And according to Spotify playlist, he's ruggedly handsome. I think I'm ruggedly handsome track six. Right, yeah. <laughs> Check that playlist out. As opposed to dark as folk. <laughs> um, I'm pretty freaking pale. I'm paler, though. That's even scarier. Do you have a conscious reaction to songs and lyrics where things rhyme or when they don't rhyme? I pay a lot of attention in general to lyrics, and what's a lot more important is how the person uses words. It's very similar to poetry. Sometimes if it rhymes, it can rhyme in a really cool way, and sometimes people can rhyme in very mediocre ways and use rhyming as a way to make their songs sound acceptable in a way. And sometimes people don't rhyme at all, and it can sound just as awesome, or it can sound terrible. Your vocal style is very sincere, very understated. Is that something that you've kind of crafted and consciously gotten yourself there? Or is that just you open your mouth and that's what happens? Yeah, not at all. I did not craft this. No scissors, no glue. I sing the way I think. I sing the way I feel. I just sing. I don't even think I can sing in the way that people expect me to be able to. Because, for example, I've always admired Broadway singers, but no way can I belt a note. But that does not mean I can't sing beautifully on something very simple. This is news to me. What Broadway singers do you want to... I mean... What, you mean like Adina Menzel or something? Oh, I just like hearing how people belt notes and sing really loud. Well, it is something really cool to me. But it, I don't think that is a, a type of singing that would even suit me. I So it's not something I would do. It's just something I really like. <laughs> it's not natural. You have to be trained really seriously to sing that way. 
Yeah, exactly. And the way I sing is just kind of, I just kind of wing it every time. So, but, you know, opposites attract. When you're five years old, you sing really loud like that, though. Oh, when I was five years old, that, that, was, a, that was a show. I would have been way more famous than Lady Gaga. You know, you, you just opened a can of worms here. I'm going to dig up one of those <laughs> random home recordings, and I'm going to play about 10 seconds of it right now. Because when you're five, you made up these crazy songs about Hello Kitty and all kinds of stuff. Keep singing. Maybe later in the season, we'll talk about you getting me to share demos because it's something I never would normally do. To me, they're like private little notebooks and you getting me to crack that open and share it. That's all on you. I would never have done that on my own. songbirds that's the lucky backwards random way some songs come together this was almost the single from the album and it it just seems to hit a nerve in anyone that hears it and i have no idea why sometimes you just wrap your arms around something and you just try to get bigger than the moment and you just try to hold on to it and and just squeeze it tight enough i think the heart wants what the heart wants, to have a home for someone to be waiting for you. It's a wish you put in a bottle and you throw it in the ocean, even if you don't live by the ocean. This is that part at the end where I tell you where you can find us. We're on all of your favorite podcasting platforms, and now we're on iHeartRadio. Or you can just go to songbirdpodcast.com, where all the fascinating deep dive show notes are. And there's some pretty good ones on this one. If you like this song and you want to stream or buy the album, it's in all the obvious places. Bandcamp, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon. All you have to do is search for Martin Ruby, that's the band name, or Heaven Get Behind Me, and you'll find it. Let's all wave at Bunky Hunt of Whistlepig Records in Detroit, my new musical home, where the lights are always on. Next time on Songbird, a 123-year-old instrument, a jailbird, and a Friday night nursery rhyme. Thanks for listening. You're in Russia. There's bears in the street, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and they have vodka bottles in their paws. (laughs) I've never even seen a bear.